Hello, everybody. Locked on Big 12 podcast. Josh Neighbors here joining us. It is the host of Locked on Longhorns, Jonathan Davis. We are previewing Texas for the 2022 seasons uh, season. We have arrived at the Longhorns, who are picked to finish fourth by the media. Um, and so, Jonathan, I actually, I, I've been able to talk to you, like, I'd say probably once a month since you started and really this off season, it's been nice to kind of just check in on the Texas like expectations of where we are. So how are we feeling about this team? I know it's easy to feel positive about the, the program generally with Arch Manning and all the stuff that brought, but this team, the 2022 team, how are we feeling post media days after you see kind of the outside expectation is maybe not meeting what the inner expectations are for Texas? So I think you have um, an interesting dilemma with Texas fans, and maybe this isn't unique to the Texas fan base, but uh, you have the Texas fans that are really excited and are willing to go out on the limb um, and and say that this should be a nine-plus win team. I'm in the boat that this should be a nine-plus win team. But then you also have uh, the other Texas fans who I think have felt bullied by all the Texases (laughs) back and all they've had to deal with from the other fan bases and (laughs) Oklahoma and A&M constantly like trumping on them. So they're like scarred and scared to be optimistic because they're like, I've been optimistic about Texas in the past. If people are going to take my, my tweets and and use them as receipts against me. So I would say that most people are really excited about this team. I think that if you ask most people, uh, they would say that this team should win eight to 10 games. Um, I think the larger majority of the fan base doesn't think that this team is ready to compete for a big 12 championship. I am in the minority. I think that this team is ready to compete for a big 12 championship game. And I think an appearance should be the floor for the team this year. So the expectations are a little mixed, but if I had to speak for the majority of the fan base, I think that they believe this should be an eight to nine win team and should be a Big 12 champion in the next two years, although I think that they're capable of doing it this season in 2022. I think they are, too. I, I think what what people are trying to square is, number one, how many times they've gotten burned by Texas, right? That That's fair. <laughs> two is, you know, this is the interesting part about this, is from a talent perspective, like this, this team really, and, and I know people said this in the past about Texas, but this team especially should be able to do it. And then the third part of it is like the league is it's I wouldn't say it's down, but all these teams are transitioning. Right. I mean, uh, you know, like say for Kansas State, I mean, this is kind of a like if, it, if there were a year for Kansas State to do it, it's probably this year. Like even ba- Baylor was picked to finish first. Think about all the change that they've undergone because they're switching quarter. I mean, they, you know, they won a sugar ball last year and they're switching quarterbacks. And that kind of tells you that the team's identity might have to change. Right. You know, it's like, all right, what we did last year probably isn't optimizing. Oklahoma State obviously is, you know, they lost a ton off that defense or transition there. Oklahoma is the poster child for transition, although it could be a smoother transition, I think, than a lot of people think with the coaching and whatnot. You know, Kansas State set up there, but then that kind of brings us, you know, to, to Texas. We talk about those teams in the top half. And like this group, there is some continuity, I actually think, in a lot of places. The, only, the problem was they were five and seven last year. So like, you know, is the continuity really is, – is, you expect them to get better. I always say as they're college kids, we think they get better, but like you're, you're bringing back, you know, important parts of a five and seven team. What does that mean? So I think people are trying to square all of those things. It's not really, this team is, you know, there's not much black and white with this team. There's a whole lot of gray when predicting what might happen. And I, and I think the, the biggest reason for 
the cautious optimism or fans not willing to be cautious. I mean, our fans not willing to, to, you know, go all the way on optimism for this Texas football team is somebody smarter than me once told me that, you know, the three most important positions in football are the quarterback, the person that protects the quarterback and the person that sacks the quarterback. Mm -hmm. Those just happen to be Texas's three biggest question marks on the football team. (laughs) Whether you think Quinn Ewers is better than Hudson card or not, we haven't seen him on the collegiate level. So you don't know what to expect from that. Although I think Quinn Ewers is all world. You brought in, you know, at least two top 35 linemen in the country in your 2022 class, but we have yet to see them. And right now, you know, this team doesn't have a pass rush that I could rave about. And so I think that that's where a lot of the, uh, you know, cautiousness comes from in Texas fans. It's because it's like, okay, we've seen the story before with Texas having a talented quarterback. We've seen the story before with Texas having really talented DBs. We've seen Texas have weapons at running back and on the outside. But where Texas has struggled is in the trenches on both sides. And it's hard to definitively say that either one of those offensive or defensive line will be a strength for this football team this year. So I think that's why a lot of Texas fans are, you know, kind of pumping the brakes on on drinking the Kool-Aid because as flashy as this Texas team looks, there's still question marks in the trenches. And we know that that's still where football is won and lost. And that's where this conference is won and lost last year. I mean, think about the teams that went to the championship. You know, it was Baylor, it was Oklahoma State, and those two teams ran the football really well, and they played really good defense, and they had really good defensive lines. <laughs> so let's talk about the offensive line, because the one thing that that we that was so obvious last year was Texas, and I'll say this, like, they actually could look good at times on the offensive line, it was always in the first quarter. It was sometimes a lot of times second quarter. It was like maybe for four or five minutes in the third quarter. And then the last 20 minutes, it was like they put a completely different group of players into the game and things went really poorly. Um, trying to pinpoint what exactly the problem was with that. It felt like maybe a strength and conditioning thing. It felt like maybe a method thing about how they got after it. What do you think about the offensive line this year? Is it going to be Devon Campbell who's playing left tackle? Like, b- because you know, this thing, as you mentioned, we'll get to the weapons, but that they're going to need some help to make it all work. Like it's not going to go well. You know, we can't, we can't get everybody to the football in the way that we want to, if the line's not doing their job for 60 minutes, like they didn't last year in a lot of big games. Well, I think fall camp that starts this week is going to be crucial um, in figuring that out. You bring in seven very talented offensive linemen from this class, but only one enrolls early and, and, The Mm -hmm. one was Cole Hudson. It was not Devon Campbell. It was Mm -hmm. not Kelvin Banks. So where you would have liked to have a real competition in the spring, you weren't able to have that over the summer. It's just conditioning. The fall is where those real offensive line competitions start. I think that you're looking at left tackle. I would say the only solidified position right now is Jake Majors at center. So right now you only have one out of the five that are solidified. I think you have some very interesting battles. Uh, you know, that it is very tough, right, tough. for a, yeah. a Texas team and a, and a podcast host that's saying they're going to win nine games and go to the Big 12 <laughs> championship game. But um, I think you have a very interesting battle um, at both tackle positions. Uh, will Kelvin Banks be able to play? Will he step in right away and be your left tackle? Um, do you slide him over to, to right, tackle right tackle maybe earlier in the year? Um, what do you do with that? Uh, does Devon Campbell come in and, uh, you know, take one of those interior line positions? And Cole Hudson, who was the one early enrollee who worked himself up to first team reps at right guard by the time that the orange and white game took place, how much of a leg up does he have? And does he end up uh, becoming another interior offensive line starter um, with that group? So I think so it remains we to be see two. We, we, you think we might see two freshman offensive linemen. I, I think we see two freshman offensive line starters going into the season. And that's why you said it. it's hard to definitively yeah. say that this will be a strength for this football team when 
the, the, the position battles haven't even really started yet. They don't start until Wednesday. And right now only one of your five starters is set in stone. So um, like I said, it's, it's a, the, the offensive line is going to be a work in progress. And I think that each week is going to be a little bit better, but it's going to take a while, even in season uh, for them to gel to the point that Kyle Flood would like. Yeah, th- that is a big question. Cause I mean, like you and I have talked about this. We talked about this a bunch. I mean, I actually cannot think of a time that the Texas had a, has had a more loaded group of of skill players. Like, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, they've got two guys in in Bijan Robinson and Xavier Worthy, who are top five in the country. At their, I mean, Bijan's the best running back in the country. That's like that's not really. Thank you. Much, Thank it's you. not much of a. Is anybody who is anybody else putting up there for that? Right. Like, well, like, so I, I I know that uh you know I don't want to get you in trouble. I know that Kansas State fans think you hate their I, school, but people have put Deuce well, Vaughn up there. Well, I put, I've seen I actually, hold on. So so actually, to defend this, like I I put Deuce Vaughn as my offensive player of the year in the Big Twelve. It doesn't mean I think he's a better running back. I just think like their offense is. It's him. I mean, he is the offense. Yeah. So we're talking about player performance. Like, I think yeah. he is amazing. I actually, my whole thing with Texas is like, I don't know if they have to ride Bijan Robinson because think about it. Last year, he was worn down in the end of the year, right? Yeah. He didn't play in that Kansas State game. And and I think it showed us how good Roshan Johnson is. It's like, th- this offense to me is going to be best if it is balanced. And then in the moments where they need Bijan Robinson, we can have a 30 carry Bijan Robinson game. But I don't think the the formula is have a bunch of games like that TCU game last year where it was all Bijan all the time because I don't think that's the best way for this team to win despite the fact that he's the best player on the field most of the time he steps on it. Yeah, I think that, you know, the key is is that everything Sark wants to do comes off of play action. You know, we talk mm-hmm. about, right. um, you know, him at Alabama and, you know, Mac Jones and Devontae Smith's gaudy numbers, but uh, Najee Harris was a top five Heisman candidate as well. And so I think that everything comes off of the run, but like you said, um, there's so many talented backs behind him in a Roshan Johnson and a Keelan Robinson, yeah. and even a, you know, Jaden blue and, and a Jonathan Brooks who are really talented as well. Um, we know, you know, how dominating he is he is as a receiver and as a runner. And I think the offense is still going to be run through B. John Robinson, but you talk about what they have at running back Jaleel Billingsley and JT Sanders, a five-star tight end. Um, you know, they're seven, eight deep with legitimate receiver threats, you know? So um, I think you're right. I think you still have to establish the run because that makes everything work in Sark's offense. Um, and so Bijan will still be the bell cow, but I think Roshan Johnson has definitely earned, uh, you know, eight to 10 touches a game as well. Um, so I think Bijan will still be the focus because he's the right. best player on the team and yes. you have to establish the run through him. But like you said, I think that, you know, this offense is going to be a la Sark at Alabama where, the defense has to constantly worry about everybody on the field getting the ball every single play. And it's not just going to be Bijan or bust in 2022. Like I would, I'd be concerned if I saw 30 carries at tech, 30 carries at West Virginia, 30 carries against OU, you know, I'd start to be like, all right. And and think about it too. I mean, this is not the only team that we saw have it happen. Oklahoma state didn't have Jalen Warren in the big tall championship game last year. And I think a lot of that actually stemmed from the fact that they rode him so hard throughout the year. So I, it's a great problem to have, right? It is, it is such a nice problem to have that you have all these guys. Just, it's just a matter of divvying it up and we can, we can do a little bit on Quinn Ewers here. I'm not, you know, I'm not really too interested in about it. Cause like, I really don't think we know until we watch fall camp, obviously. And then we see once the season starts, but you're pretty high on him. You know, I think as a talent, there's no denying it. It's just a matter of, all right, how does this thing come together? And, Look, I wouldn't be shocked if Texas is like a really awesome. I think this is a lot of a lot of teams, but if if he looks awesome in like November, I wouldn't be shocked, and maybe October and 
September could be a little rocky, but you know, like the talent's there. I think it's pretty, pretty clear with that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think he's all world. I've questioned why it could be the Texas thing. I try not to come on here and say, well, it's cause we're Texas, you know, and beat our chest. Cause we have nothing to beat our chest about currently, but um, I just question why all of these top quarterback recruits, we kind of just assume that they're going to come in and ball right away. And so many people seem to have reservations about Quinn Ewers that I just simply don't have. You know, I think that he's a really talented quarterback. People talk about him having Patrick Mahomes like skills and arm talent. And I think we've seen what Sark has been able to do with quarterbacks who aren't as talented as uh, Quinn Ewers. We've seen what Sark has been able to do with talent at the skill positions that may not be as robust as what Texas has right now. I just don't see a situation where Quinn Ewers doesn't succeed at Texas. I mean, even if he's 70 to 80% of what we think he'll be, I mean, I think this is, he's in a foolproof situation. Yes. He's a gunslinger. He's going to throw some interceptions at times because of the confidence he has in his arm. But with all of the weapons that we have with Sark calling the plays, I mean, this is going to be a 40 point a game offense. And I think Quinn Ewers is perfectly capable of leading a 40 plus point a game offense. And he's going to be one of the best quarterbacks in college football over the next couple of years. So. Yeah, I mean, there's no excuse, like, with the amount of weapons they have. Once again, offensive line is going to factor a lot of this. They, they have to play well, too. I mean, there are situations where it really doesn't matter who's the quarterback if the offensive line yeah. cannot block anybody. So we'll see with that. Um, and I think if the offensive line's a problem, you'd probably stick with Quinn Ewers because it's like, you know what? The results are probably the same no matter what. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's going to be Hudson Card, Quinn Ewers. That person's probably going to go down a lot. Um, yeah. So let's talk about the defense. Yeah. Uh, this this was a unit last year. I don't want to say they were – I mean, the numbers say they were awful. Like, the numbers – I mean, look at some of the numbers. Uh, efficiency, 101st. Um, uh, uh, let's see, explosive plays being allowed, 102nd. Uh, finishing drives, 99th. So teams always put it against them. They bring back some key parts of that defense, a lot of talented guys. It's much like the offensive line, though, and I think this actually for the whole defense. Their tackling was bad, and late in games – it was really easy to move the football on them, especially in the run game. We saw a lot of teams. I mean, you know, the, the Kennedy Brooks runs a great example. Oklahoma State punched them in the mouth late a lot in that game. It was a great example of that. Baylor had no problem running the football against them late. How do you think, excuse me, how do you think that stuff gets resolved? And will it be the DeMarvian Overshones of the world, the guys like Alfre, uh, Keandre Coburn and Alfred Collins, the guys who are back? who are kind of leading this change or is it some of those new faces that you think uh, can help turn this thing around? Or it's obviously going to be like a mixture of both. Well, I think it's going to have to be uh, the talent that has already been on the team Mm -hmm. stepping up. You know, you brought in eight defensive linemen in this class, but the same way we talked about the offensive line, you can't expect, you know, these true freshmen, most of which didn't even enroll early to come right in and be dominant for your football team. And, And you talk about, you know, the defense not being great. None of it works without a pass rush. And as I've told you, the biggest question mark likely on this team right now is the pass rush. You swing and miss on an O'Shawn Mathis. And you have some young players that you, you know, believe in, um, you know, can be, you know, assets at the edge position and can make plays for you. But you don't have that one player that you can consistently count on to be disruptive up front 
um, and put pressure on the quarterback and make things tough for him. And so you're going to have to have um, Alfred Collins and a Keandre Coburn, who I don't think have reached their potential since they've been at Texas. I think they've left a lot to be desired since the moment they've signed their letter of intent. I think you're going to need two players like that up front to really have the best seasons of their Texas careers. I think you're going to need to see another strong year from DeMarvian Overshone, who's probably the best player on the defense, um, and making that transition from safety to linebacker and being a little bit better in the run too, as as much range as he had and has and has good as he is in the past game. He left a lot to be desired in the run game at times last year as well. I think the addition of Diamante Tucker Dorsey in the transfer portal and then Jalen Ford stepping up at that middle linebacker position. Um, I think, you know, Luke B wasn't as good last year. I think Jalen Ford flashed at times. I think with them being able to play those linebacker spots, that allows you to move DeMarvian Overshawn around a lot and maybe use him in a hybrid kind of linebacker. You know, sometimes he's just going to be rushing a passer role. I think that helps a lot. And I think you have some better players on the back end, but still some question marks there. So I think that the defense will be better. I think one key point is this is the first time, um, and however you want to look at it, three, four years that Texas will be in the same defensive system two years in a row. They had three straight different defensive coordinators. Now PK is in his second year. So I think just continuity wise, they'll be better. Uh, Gary Patterson is kind of reporting directly to Sark also helping with the DBs. I think that helps a lot too. Can we, um, can we, can we touch, can we talk about this? Okay. Yeah. So, so like, I'll just wrap it up. Uh, I'll just say, I think the defense will be better because of the continuity, but if players like Alfred Collins and Keandre Coburn don't right. step up, I think you're going to see much of the same as far as, you know, holes being opened by the offensive line and them not being able to get a pass rush and not being able to get off the field. So Pete Kukowski uh, he's got to be looking over his shoulder, right? I mean, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, you bring Gary Patterson, and look, I, I don't, you know, I don't know if bringing Gary Patterson is any is any guarantee that things get better. But here's what I will say: he is a uh, transformational figure in terms of defensive scheming the last 20, 30 years of college football. Like what he did at TCU, they put a lot of dudes in the league, and there was a whole lot of copying of what TCU did on defense about how many, you know, about uh, finding athletes and putting them in different spots and, you know, being able to get the most out of guys at safety and using them differently at linebacker and having them be hybrids. A whole lot of that was him. Uh, Pete Kukowski's paid a lot of money. You gotta be looking over your shoulder when you bring in Gary Patterson, man, you gotta be, because it, it's got, it's, it's gotta be that like almost that Jason kid, Frank Vogel thing, the Lakers had going on for a while. Right. Where it's like, why did you hire my replacement? Like he's on the, you know, like he's supposed to be working under me. And obviously it never actually happened. So maybe, maybe this could be the same type deal, but you got to think if things don't go well for the defense and it feels like Sark is going to get one more year, especially when you think about the recruiting class that he's getting coming in 2023, um, the defense has to perform or else we're going to see Gary Patterson, defensive coordinator heading into 2023. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I think that PK, I mean, I hate to say anybody's on the hot seat, you right. know, especially when, you know, I think that uh, Sark has such a great off season. And so I think you need time to let that materialize. But you're right. When you you talk about bringing in a, a Gary Patterson, who did a lot more with less, right, uh, at TCU, and then you bring him over uh, for a team at Texas who's been historically kind of you know bad on defense, or at least since the glory years, and um, the defense wasn't great last year at all. And and we know what Gary Patterson is capable of. And you know if he's willing to take a role as special assistant to the head coach, I definitely think he's willing to take defensive coordinator, right? So um, yeah, I, I think Pete. You know, Kay kind of has a little bit of fire under him. I, um, you know, I think that we're going to give him time and and see what he's able to do. But 
this Texas fan base is hungry. Um, and not yeah. just the fan base, you know, people that invest a lot of money into this program are hungry. So uh, if we get to that Oklahoma game and, and things don't go their way in that Oklahoma game or the defense is uh, still looking bad, then, yeah, I think you're going to start hearing those. Uh, I don't even want to say whispers because they'll be louder than a whisper. You're going to start hearing a loud calls for Gary. Well, Patterson I mean, they've been over. there ever since he got hired, right? Like that's kind of the part of this. And look, it was a perfect opportunity because he was willing to take a position like that, mostly despite his old university, but also to get involved with coaching again. <laughs> and I mean, the type of talent Texas gets, you let him just coach the defense. He, he has a problem connecting with kids. I actually don't think that, like, I think that's kind of what brought Gary Patterson down. He's just a little bit of an, you know, he's a little bit of an old man, right? He's a little bit old. Yeah. <laughs> he blocked our man, Steven Simcox for like, like talking about a blog post about him. He's a little old and crotchety, whatever. But like, if he just coaches a defense and doesn't have to manage all the other stuff, you know, I, I think that's kind of that's kind of good. now. I, I think the one thing is too. It's like they have to work on the obvious is like tackling, right? Like getting the football, yeah. finishing plays, forcing turnovers, and then doing it. You know, the, their defense was shot out of a cannon. I mean, they forced that quarterback change against OU, but really is the, it's the fundamentals, right? It is. Yeah, it's maintenance. It's 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 playing a full sixty. Really, it's kind of stuff like that. Yeah, and I and I think that comes from as much as that comes from good coaching. I think that just comes from culture and energy too. Um, I think that you know when you're losing six games in a row, and you know you maybe don't have the right type of players in the program. And that's not to say anything about anybody personally, but you it takes team first players, not me first players, to try to achieve the type of goals that Texas has. And so I, I think that you know just kind of when you're down on uh, on yourself, you start to let things happen. You know, I'm on, I'm in a softball team right now that we getting we're getting blown out every week. You know, and so it's like the mistakes just keep piling on top of each other because there's no confidence. We're just like, whatever, we're going to lose the one anyway. So now you can't catch a ball. You can't feel the ball. I think that was the same thing last year. It's like, you know, when it rains, it pours. (laughs) And it just started pouring for the Texas defense. I think that there's a lot of optimism around this team. I think that the coaching staff has improved. And I think that this team really feels like they can do something special. And so I think just naturally they're going to be better and more attentive on that side. Um, and I think they're just going to be w- more willing to to put their bodies on the line to make plays. And I think that's what it comes down to. You know, um, tackling is as much as about effort as it is about technique. Like, do you want to get dirty? Do you want to get down there and tackle? And I think the players will be a little bit more incentivized uh, this year to to go harder on the defensive end. But, you know, at times I think you'll still see those lapses. The defense, you know, just like the offensive line, the defensive line and the entire defense um, will be in work in progress all year. I think we're, a few years away from that being a strength on this football team, regardless of the um, new players and new coaches they brought in. So official prediction from you for this season is what pick? Cause I'll say this, the schedule for them, like so the, the Bama game is horribly placed. I mean, I guess it's fine. Cause it's before conference schedule, but like Bama's going to be really, really good this year. Uh, we're gonna be like, you know, I know we said every year, but like this team's going to be like really, really good this year um, at tech, obviously the OU game. They're in Stillwater. They're on the road at Kansas State, and they're at Kansas, which like they they won't lose that game again. Um, I don't think unless the wheels are totally off the wagon. Don't speak too soon, man. I I I, don't, I mean it's gonna be tough to figure that one out. Yeah, but you never know. Um, and then Baylor is the last game of the year. So like this is not an easy schedule. So and I, I once again I picked OU to finish first. Do I think OU is necessarily a better team in Texas? I don't know yet, but their schedule is really easy. Uh, yeah. the, the Texas schedule is not as easy and these things alternate. So once again, it's not like uh, Texas was given a better schedule. These things just yeah. alternate with the home and away. Um, so this, so what do you, what are you thinking this year? Like nine and three, is that kind of where you are right now? 10 and two, nine and three. 
I'm going to say nine and three big 12 championship game appearance. I'm going to say lost to Alabama, lost to Baylor, and then a loss to either Oklahoma or a school we're not expecting. I will not come on this podcast or any podcast and say we're going to lose to Spencer Sanders and Oklahoma State. So, like I said, Baylor, Alabama, and then either Oklahoma or a team we're not expecting, like a Kansas State who has a lot of explosive offensive potential. West Virginia has a lot of explosive offensive potential. Texas Tech has some potential as well. So maybe a team like that uh, Mm -hmm. catches us. But if not, um, nine and three is, is my prediction, maybe 10 and two on the high end in a Big 12 championship game appearance. Uh, yeah, I'm with you on the Big 12 championship game appearance. I think it's going to be around 9-3 and three also. All right. Thank you so much, Jonathan Davis. Where can people find you and your work and all of its variety? Yes, sir. Uh, Locked on Horns on Twitter. Locked on Longhorns. Uh, the YouTube channel, John Ball. My personal Twitter, but I also want to take time to congratulate my favorite Locked On host, Josh Neighbors, on getting monetized on YouTube. You all, as Locked On Big 12 listeners, uh, have been treated to a treat for a while. Once again, he's my favorite Locked On host to listen oh, to. You. And I'm just glad that uh, he's finally getting his flowers. He's done such a great job uh, covering the conference um, through Texas and Oklahoma, leaving all of that, um, covering <laughs> the uh, expansion rumors and all of that. And um, like I said, it's just always been a quality show, and I'm glad he's finally getting um, the credit he deserves on YouTube being monetized and having a thousand I, subscribers. I so congrats this. to congrats to you, brother, for sure. I, I thank you so much. I do appreciate that. I, I actually have to thank uh the Big Ten for taking USC and UCLA. <laughs> that's honestly, <laughs> honestly speaking, that's what actually made it happen. Because once that happened, whoop, we were off the races after that. So uh yeah. they made that thing easy. But I, I do appreciate that. Make sure you guys check out Locked On Longhorns. I know it's a team that most of y'all love to hate. Even though OU wins the league most years, y'all still hate Texas even more for some reason. Uh, but Jonathan, I appreciate you and keep up the good work, man. Yes, sir. Hook him. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.